Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Danny May, the lead senior youth phase coach at Southampton. Danny, welcome to the show. Good to see you. How are you getting on? All good, Danny. I entrust all as well down there in Southampton. How's pre-season been going? Yeah, really good. Really good. We've been fortunate. We've got a good medical team that have uh, helped us, I suppose, get through this period as well as you can be. So we've... Um, We've mostly been back, haven't had any sort of major issues, and we've had some level of consistency in the programme, which, um, you know, when you look at everything going on, you can just be grateful for, really, just to have the lads back in, the lads and the staff um, continuing as safe as we can. But, yeah, been really good. Um, we started off with that up to three sessions a week now. We've had a residential, we've had a few games. So uh, next week, actually, is when the, the full Premier League Games programme starts. And then for those listening, of course, Danny, lead senior youth phase coach, it's quite a mouthful. Well, what exactly does that role entail? Yeah, what does it mean? <laughs> Just a made-up title. Um, no, so we, I mean, there's a bit of a story behind it, I suppose. Obviously, when the Triple P come in, you had a foundation phase, a youth phase, and a professional phase. Um and just over time, really, we started to see there's a, there's a real difference in the expertise between those three phases. So what we actually did was split the youth phase into two. You know, you've got a period there, which is the ones I work with, the 15s and 16s that are preparing for potential scholarships and I suppose moving into that professional phase. Then below that, 12s to 14s, um, you've got a separate phase now. Um, and largely you can imagine they're dealing with a, a lot of things around growth, maturation, um, but it isn't, yes, yeah, not we wanted to have kind of a distinctive phase that maybe we ramped it up a little bit um, and prepared them for what's to come. That just, I suppose, in our view, we wanted to try and reduce the gap between the 15s, 16s and then the 18s programme, which is full time. So my role is looking after those two age groups and everything that goes with that, you know, the different disciplines to support that, um, parental education and support and all the players. So I mainly look after those two. So like working in youth development has become your career and it's become large in part your life, Danny. But I suppose growing up, I mean, did you ever foresee that you would be working in the game at a coaching capacity or where did this footballing journey begin? But I suppose at the start, it was all about being a player. You know, I wouldn't have, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have considered it maybe possible or wasn't interested in it at the start. Um, so I began really as soon as I could walk, I'd be classed, I suppose, as, as an early specialiser, as it was called now. But, you know, football was the main thing that I did. My dad got me into lots of different sports. We we're a really sporting family. Um, and to be honest, in those days, just wanted to get you out of the house. I'm one of one of uh, four brothers. So obviously just wanted to get us out, give them a bit of peace and quiet. So I was involved in sport really young and played for the local team in the older age groups. And then was fortunate enough to go to Leicester City. Um, then got released at Leicester around the sort of 16, 17s age group, went Port Vale, ended up a professional at Port Vale and then South End. And then really, I suppose at that point, just was quite honest with myself and could see that there's a couple of areas that really I was short in. And eventually it led to me coming down to sort of the conference level and 
you know, semi-professional level. So at that point, I did my um, degree in coach education, sports development. Um, so I, I knew at that point that's what I wanted to do. I, I just didn't, it's just hard to imagine it being possible at those ages. You know, the P hadn't really come in yet. And, you know, if you, at that point, if you hadn't played, you know, 500 league games or you hadn't got yourself a name or a reputation in the game, it was very difficult to break into. Um, but then I went into teaching and it was around that point that the P come in and the Premier League and the FA had a real push again with the academies and just a lot of opportunities opened up. And I was fortunate enough, you know, whilst working at Bristol Rovers and getting a brilliant grounding in coaching there, you know, from doing everything, you know, you were helping out with the buses, the kit, you know, working at, would have been a cat three, was just a brilliant experience under a guy called Stuart Norton. So I knew at that point I really wanted to be a full-time coach. I suppose like lots of people who be listening to this working hard and it's not always enough to get you in in the door as quick as you want it takes it takes longer for an opportunity to to come your way and I was I was close to taking a job at Bristol Rovers and Southampton Southampton contacted me and said something had come up and the second that had come up I knew that I really wanted it badly there their philosophy aligned you know with mine and what what I thought about coaching so that came up 10 years ago and I got the role there and then I've, I've been here and loved it ever since. Certainly a number of formative experiences there, Danny, but it sounds for it to delve into. What I'm most interested in dissecting is what you mentioned about being a player, albeit 10, 15 years ago. You know, if you didn't have those 500 games underneath your belt making that transition. I mean, is there a more favourable approach nowadays? You see coaches going off on their own, embarking on their own journeys at younger ages, the likes of your Nagelsmanns. We still see coaches like your Stephen Gerrards, Frank Lampard's Wayne Rooney's after a glittering playing career going straight into management. Is there pros and cons to both approaches or would you have preference for either? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably see it as a, you know, from more of a strength based approach I think both and whether you've had a long career or not both have strengths and things they bring to the table you know I've I've worked with a lot of um, players who've had a glittering playing career you know they've brought really bought brilliant experiences that they can refer back to you know they're used to that changing room environment they've actually done what's needed and they've lived it gone through it understood the sacrifices and what it takes so I think it's vital to have those people around but in the same way Sometimes having people that failed, you know, and I'd consider myself a, a failed footballer. You know, I got to a good level, played professional games, but I didn't sustain it. So then people from a totally different background, you know, one, um, you know, one thing I've noticed, we often talk about coaching, but there's so many disciplines involved in academy football now. You know, now you've started to have far more women involved in the game. You know, that's, that's brought such a, such a different experience for the players and different people to talk to and a real different skill set. You look at coaching now and any job, what's become more and more important is those soft skills, the ability to build rapport. Players have, you know, feel like they're comfortable talking to you, those one-to-one -one relationships. And having people from different backgrounds, different sexes, you know, is only going to add to that. So it's definitely changed in the time that I've been in. I think there's far more 
opportunity for everyone now. And I, I suppose to get in, it's it's that probably part hasn't changed as much. Just the opportunity is great. It's, you still have to work incredibly hard, you know, not just to get in, but to stay in and work in this type of environment. You have to work incredibly hard and you have to be resourceful, prepared to be better. So I think having a particular background, you know, that's one thing. But ultimately, it's what you're going to bring and what value you're going to add, whether you've played 10 games, 500 games, or you've come from an academic background. It's about the value you can add. Yeah, there's one great quote I saw recently, um, Doug Lamov, his great book on the art of teaching, the art of coaching. And he says there is exactly no 100% solution. You know, there's 101% solutions. And I suppose, (laughs) you know, there's no better... There are few better clubs in worldwide football than to gain a better understanding of being an effective youth developer than Southampton Football Club. And I suppose a club, you know, that's steeped in cultivating potential into excellence. I mean, what is so unique about that Southampton way? Well, you, I mean, you touched on it there, but it's worth saying is, you know, I've been here 10 years, but people were doing amazing work long before you know, I was here. So it's had, it's had a real reputation for giving players an opportunity. And if I'm honest, there's not just us, there's clubs out there that do fantastic work. They do it differently. You know, we'll have a different um, philosophy and a different way of doing things, but that's how it should be. You know, your clubs in different areas with different aspirations. I think something we've done well consistently for a long time is there's a clear pathway so if the players are good enough you know and we support them in the right way then they'll get a chance and you know if I could sum it up being patient and giving players a pathway and an opportunity if you could do that as an academy you've, you've got a great chance you've got a great chance of doing well because there's so many we play against teams every week there's so many talented staff and players out there yeah, they just need a chance. And I think that's something we've done well for quite a long period now. I suppose a large part there is, you know, creating the environment for the player and then giving them the ownership and indeed the psychological safety to, you know, take risks and, and you know, uphold these challenges. But something which you said in an interview a few years ago struck me, Danny, you called it the 95% versus the 5%. You suggested it's 5%, you know, what you provide the player in terms of environment, but largely 95% of their success is indebted to them. Could you explain that a bit more? Yeah, I mean, a few people have mentioned that, that the percentage you could, it's just pulled out of the air. Um, It's just, I suppose, to make a point. If you look at the players, the players will all have individual development plans and they'll have their own programme that they only get... um, they only get a certain programme delivered by the clubs. You know, ultimately, players make players. You know, we're going to play a part within it, of course, and we can really add value, but it's the players that, that make themselves, in my view. And the ones that come in and they're most resourceful and, you know, they work hard, they're open to learning. Like these type of people, they do well in whatever they do in life, not just football. But ultimately, it is down to them. I think our job is to create the right environment where those people flourish. And, you know, I often I talk about our role within this. 
I think we can spend a lot of time and sometimes too much time trying to work out who's going to be a top player and who's not. When in reality, you don't really know for sure. You know, that's certainly something I've learned 17 years of coaching. You don't really know. I've got some right, you get some wrong. You know, some people have got more right than me, less than me. It's so hard to predict. So once they're in your program, your job is to give them the best environment possible for them to make the most of it. But ultimately, you know, they will, they will make themselves. You know, the ones that come through, they just use the environment they're in and they take as much as they can as they can from it. Um, and that's really where that quote come from. It was, it was actually, um, <laughs> I stole it as you do most things from someone else. Um, but yeah, that figure was pulled out of the air, but that's the basis around it. It's testament though to the work and to the culture that's been put in place though at Southampton, that this, you know, creating these players from scratch, giving them the environment, you know, with such a track record of cultivating potential of and turning it into excellence. You know, it hasn't been just over a number of years. It's been over <laughs> a few decades now at this stage. But what I wanted to touch on a bit more now is, of course, nowadays you have analysis departments, recruitment departments, sports science departments, and coaching departments. At Southampton, do those different departments, do they tend to operate in silos or is the collaboration a lot more mutual? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 moved, it's moved towards being far more interdisciplinary now. Um, so probably we used to talk about multidisciplinary teams quite a bit. And probably like most at times, I think the fault that you can have with that is that you work in silos, you should put it. So you work separately, often without even the same objective or not discussed objective. So we really push for an interdisciplinary environment. Ultimately, Everyone who works for the club, they want to see, if possible, a player come through from eight right the way through into the first team. And to do that, they've got to be improving as football players on the pitch. Now, if you can develop those world-class attributes along the way and everyone is working together to get there, then you're all using your own expertise, I suppose, as someone put it once, to make the boat go faster. I think you can get sidetracked by other stuff. There's lots of things that feed into that, you know, developing them as human beings, of course, is going to help them develop as footballers. Supporting them academically, of course, will help them. Supporting their physical development, sometimes away from the pitch in the gym, of course, will help them. But it's all got to be going into making them better football players. Different people will need different things. And if I look now at the way it's moved on, you know, when we're working when we're working on the grass and, you know, say for example, doing a, an individual uh, development session. So a session solely developed, solely developed to support each individual. You'd have, you know, strength and conditioning boys on the pitch, coaches working as coaches, supporting the players. You've got your analyst team on the pitch with the screen next to the pitch. The players can come off, look and put it into practice. You've got psychology out on the pitch, supporting the players doing what doing the, what they want to do and doing what doing what they're trying to become better at so you've got rather than going off to a classroom all the time just having a conversation they're out working on the pitch you've got the goalkeeper coaches working with maybe the forwards and the gks so you've got everyone working together out on the pitch all with the same objective can't be like that all the time 
But I think when you get it like that, you know you're working in a truly interdisciplinary fashion. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, when you say all that stuff in isolation, Danny, it does sound like a quite complex process. But I'd imagine where you're at, Southampton, everybody's roles, their responsibilities are defined. And there's a real belief there, having spoken to you previously before, in that non-linear talent development pathway. And I imagine over time, you know, the development of the player, it's become a lot more holistic since you originally begun in the academy system. Yeah, without question, you know, that's a that's a big part of our coaching philosophy. It's remembering that you're not you're not just working with a young football player. You're working with a, a young person, a young human being that's you know going to go through tragedy at times in their life, going to go through difficult times at school, could be bullying, whatever it might be. But these are young human beings in front of you, and you have to consider that. You know, sometimes you can try and overcomplicate an individual development plan and have too much in there when the reality is a boy just might need to really love football again. You know, that might be what he needs for the next six weeks. You know, and you've got to consider then the environment and support that you put around him to get him enjoying his football again. Someone might be the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you might have a lad that as a person is just, getting complacent and finding things too easy and it needs to be stretched. That might be a number of things. I don't, I don't think it can just be, we're going to go out and just work on someone's left foot. The next six weeks, you have to try and think deeper than that. Um, and then for that to work, when you think you're dealing with human beings that are going to have constant interactions with staff, everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. There's no point, um, I don't know, me talking about a player settling in front of goal, being composed or taking risks as a 10. And then, you know, you've got someone from another department um, shouting and telling him to play the ball simple and taking the mick out of him for giving the ball away or the analysis constantly showing him data and how much he's lost the ball. You have to have every direction and trying to create that environment that we've agreed is right for them. Um, and that, that for me is when you're at your best, when you've got all of that, everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet, if you like. Of course. And, you know, embracing that complexity and, you know, accepting that talent development is a nonlinear process and, you know, embracing, you know, the whole holistic picture. I suppose, you know, has that redefined your and your colleagues, you know, definition of what success is? within the academy system, then it's not, you know, it's not just successful if they make it as a pro within the Southampton first team, is it? That is exactly right. No, it's, um, I mean, it, I, I've seen it happen so often now that, you know, players will have ups, they'll have downs. Sometimes the kids that were flying slow down and other people go past them and catch them up. I, I go back to the point, you say you've got a lad that's contracted, he's with you for two years. You've just got to do everything you can to support that lad to be better. And if you just focus on that, no matter where they are within the group, how difficult it is, whether you feel like they're costing games or they're not performing well, have that as your objective to help them support them be better. And then whatever it looks like at the end of that, you've done your job and you've created the right environment for them. And if they go and get scholarship coaching in America, or they end up with a 
you know, a good job in the financial world or whatever it is, or they go and play at a League Two club or go and play semi-professional, they just leave you still loving sport, football, still with a fire in their belly. You've, you've done a good job because you can't, as much as you want to, you can't get every single player through and in the first team at a Premier League club. It's not going to happen. Where at, where at times, and I look at myself with this as well, where I, where I feel I fell short in the past and where I've constantly tried to be better is sometimes you can just have a focus on the boys doing well in that moment. And you don't mean to, but you're just, there's a better relationship, there's more rapport for whatever reason. You work better with these other lads than the ones that are struggling. And then I, I remember a couple of times finishing a season and thinking, how much did I actually help? You know, all I ever did was speak to them about football, which is the thing they were struggling with. I didn't really build rapport with them well enough. And they've probably left the season not having enjoyed it and not loving football as much as they did when they started. Well, with those players, I had to look at it and now I failed. So I did. As a staff member, I failed. So I had to start to think differently. And one, think of them first as people. You know, I need to get to know these as people and know where they're at and why things aren't going so well. So I really empathise with them. And then the second thing that I needed to do was to just do everything I could to help them be better and more resourceful. And then whatever happens at the end of that season, they're going to be in a better place. And maybe they'll come out of their growth spur or life will change or things will change for them and they progress really well with the next coach. But the fact that you help them through that period, you've played your part in supporting their journey and they might just flourish with the next person and things come out of it. But I think too often in the past, I was so desperate to, to turn it around for them. Like now, you know, what are we going to change in your game? What are we going to do? to get you from where you are at the moment. It just, it just doesn't work like that. You can't just speed up development for some players. You've just got to do everything you can to support them. And then they'll end up in a better place for the next person or the next group of staff they go in. And that's the way that I try to look at it now. You know, it's not, you're not making changes in two weeks. You know, if I've got a fantastic group of 16s right now, you know, how many, what, 20 staff, 30 staff have all done a really good job before me? And you have to make sure that you continue to see it like that. Otherwise, you just focus on the good bits. There is, there's a lot of learning in what you just said there, Danny. And I suppose, too, it's, you know, what we don't want to admit, you know, from time to time. There is a lot of ego when we're caught up in coaching. And I suppose you don't want to be shown to be vulnerable in front of your players, you know, on or off the pitch, having those feedback discussions. But I'm curious about that moment of reflection for yourself. You said it came at the end of a season. I mean, since then, has reflection, obviously it's a huge part of anyone's coaching. But how often, I mean, for you, would you take time out now to reflect, not just on coaching practices, but as you said, that holistic development of the individual? Probably a lot, if I'm honest. There's something, it's something I think I do well. Um, it's probably started when I, when I started coaching at Bristol Rovers. I lived, um, I didn't drive and I worked with a brilliant coach called A.D. Adams. Um, 
he's gone on and he's a, a lecturer now in, in coach education. And he used to give me a lift back and forth every day. We, it was our kind of first, um, our first experience of, of coaching at that level. And we used to just chat, planning the session on the way back and then reflecting on the way home. And I, I, remember, I remember after about a couple of years, I thought the difference this has made is we had the type of relationship where we would pull each other up on stuff. So I wouldn't just, we would confirm our biases. You know, if he thought my session was rubbish, he'd say, and I would have done the same. And it really did. It probably had the best impact. And as well as like amazing CPD that the FA put on the Premier League, Southampton, I've made sure that I've retained that. It's not the only reason, but I live an hour, I live an hour and 15 away from Southampton. I drive in and back. And I'll often phone people and have a chat with them or, you know, make sure that I've got that space. Um, unfortunately, the club is, you know, they make, they make sure that people reflect. They put spaces within the day, within the week, month, where you can. I've managed to maintain that. And I, th I think that's one of the most difficult things to do, but probably the most rewarding in terms of your coaching. If you can get to a place where you accept that every single year you'll be getting something wrong, you know, this season already, last season, if I look back, there's plenty of things that I could have done better. But if you get yourself in that headspace where you're not perfect, I've been coaching for 17 years and I'm not, and I, I honestly mean that, I'm not. I'm sure plenty of people will tell you that who work with me. But if you get to that place and you're honestly open, then you can't help but get a bit better every season. And I, I'll never forget this quote. It's our academy manager, Ed Bede, who used it. I'm sure he, but he's probably nicked it off someone else. But um, he said to me, you could, have, you, could have, you could have coached for 30 years, but if you do the same thing every year, you haven't got 30 years experience, you've got one. I'm sure I said that to you before, Connor. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it made me think. I thought it was a brilliant, a brilliant little saying. Um, and I do think there's a lot of people out there that probably think they reflect really well, but they just convince themselves that they're doing it all right. And they search people out that are going to confirm that they're doing it all right, rather than have people around them that will tell them when they're not. And I try and make sure I've got the space for that and I've got the right people for that. You know, it's it's huge, though, power of environment, even as you said, being a young coach at Bristol Rovers, having that mentor, just being able to close that feedback loop at the time for yourself, you know, evolving as a coach was huge. You still do it nowadays, you know driving an hour and 15 minutes to Southampton back and forth every day. So it's a brilliant routine and habit to get into. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Those, And I love having that space. But again, I'll go back to the people as well. Like when I started at Bristol Rovers, you won't mind me saying this, but Stuart Norton, who was the academy manager, just did a great job there. And, uh, and then you had Ken Orham after. This is in my time. And they, would, they were just really honest, direct people. So if they felt you'd they'd give you space to learn and flourish, but they'd be quite happy to tell you. So it wasn't all nice and fluffy. At times there was brutal honesty within it. And uh, it's something that I've wanted to keep within my development ever since. And I've, I've definitely got those people around me still. I suppose though it's testament to yourself as a coach, Danny. I mean, you speak, you know, You've gone through the generations. You've been a young coach at Bristol Rovers. You're at Southampton. You know, you have to adapt and evolve. And a large part of coaching, well, 
90% of coaching is that one-on-one -on -one relationship. It is that you know, social interaction with players and staff members. So proof is in the pudding, so to speak. But to delve a bit more into those players that do on, that do indeed go on to play Premier League with Southampton or elsewhere, I suppose from your 17 years of experience, I mean, you must have seen some common traits, characteristics. Yeah, this, it's, it's an interesting one. We talk about this a lot because if you could nail down exactly what it is, we'd all be, you know, billionaires. It's so it's so hard. Um, I got I got asked this one recently, actually, and there isn't like a, there isn't a rule. That's for sure. Like people can be slightly different physically. They've got to have a base level of physical ability. They can have you know a difference technically. Some will be better than others. Game understanding, normally at the top level, there's of course a base level, but there's varying, there's varying levels of it. The one that I always come back to is character. Um, and, and people see it as a bit of a cliche now. And I've thought about it a lot. Having an elite part of your character, every single one of them have. But it's always it's all been different. So I think often people can confuse compliance with a good character. They can think it's just the lad that you know, looks you in the eyes, agrees with you, um, does everything that you says, goes to the analyst when you tell them to, completes all their work. Of course, that, there's an elite part to that, but then you've got other kids that don't do that, you know, that are maybe a little bit more anti-establishment, um, but have another part of their character which is elite, and it might be it might be just swagger, you know, that they're able to go out onto the pitch at any level, and they just feel like they're the best player on the pitch. They've got incredible self belief. You know, that might be their elite characteristic. It it might be just their incredible desire to win. It might be an absolute pain to work with, you know, so aggressive all the time, moody with their teammates, but. They've got this incredible desire to win. And that's their elite characteristic. So I would say character is the, the common theme that I think I've seen. I might not be right, but it's, it's, it's accepting that there's different parts of your character um, and they seem to have an elite part to their character. It's interesting because it's very much similar, I would say, to what you said earlier on about getting into coaching, you know, it's obviously tough to nail down a position within academy, but it's even, you know, tougher to retain that position, evolve and grow within the club or the academy. Uh, Daniel Goldman, the godfather of emotional intelligence, was on a podcast recently and he spoke about, you know, your IQ will get you into a job, your competency will get you into a job. What, you know, defines whether or not you'll be successful in that job, though, as the years go on, is your EQ which is very interesting. It's, you know, there's similarities there with what you said about players having character, you know, it could come up in any shape, different way or form. But there is always, you know, even for me, I look at James Ward-Prowse, for example, from the outside. You know, his, I've no doubt, no doubt within my mind that, you know, when he's gone through his corner routine or free kick routine, that's been honed tens of thousands of times since that boy was eight or nine. You yeah, know, it's just a commitment to deliberate practice. Yeah, no, no. You know, he would. I, I didn't. I didn't work with um, James, but he would have had an incredible. His attitude. People speak about was his elite characteristic. 
you know, that was the thing that really separated him from others. And you can see that. And that's, he, he heard him talk actually, um, which is interesting. He was, he was doing an interview and they said a moment, it was something around a moment he remembered in the academy. And it was when a staff member seen him playing maybe table football or pool, something like that in the canteen and said, said to him, is that going to make you any better at football? And if it's not, go and do something that is. And at that point, he went out, practiced. And I suppose it might be like a, they think sometimes remembering our role, like it might be a 20-second interaction, but it can have a new, huge impact on a lad and the way that they progress. Um, I had one recently, I'm sure I told you this one actually, but I had one recently about, um, I won't say his name, but a young lad who'd had a bit of a difficult news and, Honestly, it was like a 30-second conversation, but I, I must have said something to them around. Often, like, it's about how you respond. Like, you can't have everything your own way. When you have a bit of difficult news, you have to respond in the best way that you can, and otherwise you don't learn anything from that situation. And then I told him about me getting released from Leicester and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. It was a 30-second conversation. Kid's a great kid, really good footballer. And his mum was saying, oh, that had a massive impact on him for the next season. And it's funny because I never would have looked at that moment. I'd have looked at all the other things that we were doing that I thought were But that, that short moment that impacted the human being had the biggest impact in his mind that season. So I do think, you know, that side of it's massive. And to touch on the staff as well, it's, you know, it's no different. That's no different. Like when you're looking to bring staff in to the club, you're, you're often looking at character, like really. People have different levels of competencies in different parts. Some people are further along in their career than others, but if you can get the right people in the building, then more often than not, you're going to do well. Of course. And one thing you said to me before, Danny, in one of our earlier conversations, will always stay with me, is, you know, it's something which you know deep down anyhow, but football is a series of moments, memorable moments. So why wouldn't coaching be any different? You know, it's quite logical. And you speak about having the right people, the right resources around you. Um, I listened to Matt Crocker, new director of football at Southampton quite recently on the Training Ground Guru conference. It was really interesting to hear about, you know, how the past 10 months has been a series of change for most of you within Southampton. And one of the things I wanted to touch upon was the introduction of a Southampton playbook which is aligning the academy style right up until the first team. I mean, as somebody who's been inside that change, Danny, over the past few months, what has that been like? So yeah, the, the playbook is so the playbook is with the B team and the 18s. Um, so the 16s below would follow the, the academy curriculum. Um, but then obviously as they're getting closer to the first team, the first the the 18s and the B team now would largely work in a, in a similar or the same way as the first team would. And it's really to, as Matt would have said, I'm sure, but to smooth that transition and try and close that gap between the two, the same language, sessions, you know, the way that they're playing. Um, so as well, like anything, you, the, best, the best, or when you're working at your best, you should have a really good link between the phases. Um, so we need to make sure that as 16s, 15s, we've got a strong link with the 18s and what they're doing. So you wouldn't necessarily bring the whole playbook in for the 16s at the moment, but what we do need to be aware of is what they're doing. So we're able to make sure that the transition 
16s into 18s is also a smooth one. That's been a, a change for us, really. And then I think something that, you know, Matt Crocker, Matt Hale, Ed Vahid, and a lot of the staff have done really well. Right throughout the period I've been here is you can't be complacent. You know, Southampton have got a great reputation. And when all of these people I've mentioned that they, they wouldn't allow you to sit off and get complacent. They're constantly looking at what, what does need to be changed. And sometimes if it isn't broken, break it. Because we need to make sure that we try to stay ahead, trying to be the forward-thinking academy that we've been for a long time. So I think what a lot of people have done really well at the club, actually, is to help people understand the importance of that change, needed to do that. So when it does come along and we're adjusting things, people are able to have that growth mindset, I suppose, and go with it. And that and that has been, it's been still, still been a good period for us. Yeah. And I mean, you speak there, you know, Southampton always been forward thinking, you know, that they have a tradition of challenging the status quo. You mean, you know, challenging any preconceived ideas or biases as we've spoken at length before. But currently, Danny, you guys looking towards any other sports, any different industries, perhaps, to challenge any of these preconceived ideas? Yeah, we, I mean, we do a lot. Firstly, on the grass, the, you know, especially the foundation phase, early in the youth phase, there'll be a lot of multi-sports. Um, so even just working on the grass, you know, recognising that you can get other things for the sports, certainly in terms of physical competency and physical literature, also, um, or literacy, but also with coach development and staff development. One thing I think we've been good at for a number of years now is having good links with whether it be rugby teams, cricket teams, um, other sports, but not just sports. So other industries, you know, Google, trying to look at people that are leading or industries, sorry, companies that are leading within their industry and working out what is it can we offer them and what can they offer us. So we've had some really good links with our CPD and with a leadership course that we've done. And, and to be honest, that you, you often in football, you can get caught up in a bubble a little bit, you know, where you see a lot of similar people, um, similar ideas. So being able to go out and see how some of these other clubs work, you know, a, a music school that are largely dealing with individuals all the time, you know, relentless practice, and how they manage that. So then going into a rugby, a rugby environment, seeing some of the incredible cultures that we've seen and how they've developed those cultures. So again, you know, cricket, they're really strong with their individual development plans. So there's always bits that you can take from other industries. I think you have to be open to that because things are always transferable. So yeah, we've, we've done that quite a lot, certainly in the last, well, last 10 years I've been there and I'm sure it was happening before. Yeah, it's really insightful stuff, Danny. And I mean, it all points back to the holistic picture you're trying to paint about the individual being at the heart of it. I suppose, I mean, to close, I have a few quick fire questions for yourself. Um, the first being, Danny, three characteristics to describe yourself as a coach. Hmm, three characteristics. Hard working. Fun. Honest, I'd say it would be three. Brilliant. And then finally, what advice would you have 
for aspiring coaches such as yourself 20 years ago looking to break into the profession? Work hard and be open to learn. I think if you get those two right, then you, you won't fall far short. You know, it won't be, I think sometimes it won't be as quick as you want. It won't happen when you want it to. But if you continue to work hard, even in the times that things aren't going as well, and you're really open, I always see that genuinely open to learn. So one thing saying it, there's another thing acting on it. Being open to learn, you'll, you'll never fall far short. So my, my dad, I think my dad said to me, always stays with me a lot, but he always says the cream rises to the top. And I know it's a, it's a saying that everyone knows, but if you keep putting the work in, keep being open to learning and getting better, then you won't fall far short. Probably if I could chuck a third one in, be a decent person. I think if you're a, I think if you're a good human being um, and you don't stand on people on your way up, I think you have a better chance of having long-term success in coaching. It's, uh, it's, it's hard enough often, you know, the day-to-day -day work, the pressure, the, the, you're dealing with kids, you, you'd love it. You know, I, I love it. I'm so passionate about football and coaching, so it probably can hurt sometimes more than, um, more than maybe a job where someone's not as interested in their job. So to have good human beings, good people around you that really do care about everyone, it, it makes that it makes that journey a lot easier. Yeah, it's you know what, it's fantastic advice to close the podcast on, and it really is testament to yourself as a person and your own coaching journey that you've been on. I mean, Danny, as always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, hopefully, in the near future, we'll have to get you on again. Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for your time as well. Southampton Academies and safe hands. Danny, take care. Take care yourself.